and I knew that I had to repent. You know, the word was telling me to repent. And I'm saying, well, God spoke everything to it and into existence. He didn't think it into existence. He spoke it, so I gotta speak these things. I have to speak these things to him. And I spent weeks doing this, just speaking and speaking. And I had so much to repent of, right? As I was speaking these things, I could feel the 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 power that they held over me being vanquished. It was gone. Wow, 2021 is off to a huge beginning related to the topic of transgenderism. And here again at Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, we are here to warn the nation and to help you respond in faith. And to help us cover in detail this uh, this topic of transgenderism, we have somebody that's not just talking about transgenderism, but he actually came out of this lifestyle himself a number of years ago and has an awesome ministry. And Than and I, we want to welcome you, David Arthur, to Insights. Well, thank you much for having me. Yeah, well, we look forward to hearing your story here in a second. But first, your, uh, your website and the name of your ministry is I Belong Amen Ministries. And uh, how did you come up with that title? You know, one thing I always realized was that I didn't belong anywhere. And I always wanted to belong, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's why I accepted a lot of the the deception and the lies that I accepted because I wanted to belong. And that's why, you know, a lot of youth are accepting a lot of lies and nonsense right now and in today's world because they want to belong. And um, when he rescued me, I can't say I was called out because I wasn't called out of anything. He reached down into the cesspools of this world Mm -hmm. and yanked me out. He rescued me. So when I was rescued, um, I finally felt like I actually finally belonged. It was a, not a sigh of relief, but a cry of relief. Hmm. Well, amen. And that's the rest of your title. I belong. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen ministries. So praise God. And, um, David, just start sharing with us about what happened in your life, your your story, and uh, we'll we'll go on from there. Okay, so my father took his life just before I was born. Mm-hmm. So I grew up desiring male affirmation. I grew up needing intimacy with a man. Um, you know, just like we see all throughout the scripture with God the Father and Adam and God the Father and God the Son and David and Jonathan and Jesus and John. And I mean, it's all throughout the scripture. It's our design to desire this, this intimacy. And I desired male affirmation, male confirmation. And sadly, there were some men who recognized that desire and took advantage of that desire. And I was molested numerous times, um, a family friend, a neighbor, and strangers. And it got to the point to where I associated that negative behavior with love and affirmation. And so at eight years old, I would cut school and I would hang out in public bathrooms in Atlantic City, New Jersey on the boardwalk waiting um, for somebody to show me some attention, some affirmation. And probably 11 or 12, I started sneaking out of the house and staying out all night. getting in a lot of trouble, engaging in a lot of activity that I shouldn't have been engaging in, drinking and doing drugs. And at 13, I overdosed on pills. 
Mm. My mom was at her wits end with me. I was the baby of four. My father took his life. She felt responsible for that. Every time I would get into a pickle, I would say, I'll just kill myself. And so I got whatever I wanted. I was spoiled. And uh, so finally, she just had to get me out of New Jersey. And her only option was Philadelphia. And for me, that was out of the frying pan into the fire. At 14 years old, my mother, who we, we, we were not Christian. We didn't even know Jesus. We had more books on witchcraft in our home than anything. And um, she said to me, I had a son. I didn't have a daughter. You can't dress like this. You can't act like this. You can't have people calling here asking for Paige or Dana. You're David. You're my son. And if you want to do that, you can't do it under this roof. And so I ran away. And I lived on the streets of Philadelphia at the age of 14. So your your whole journey up to this point to to be uh, in the trans lifestyle as a woman was simply to get male affirmation. Yes, yes. See, as a, even as a young child, I would see the women in my life, and there were a lot of women in my life, getting the, the attention that I desired from men. They would get the, the, the hugs and the embraces and the touches that I desired. Mm. And so I figured, you know what, I must be a girl. And then the more feminine I acted, the more attention and more affirmation um, I received from them. Do you so, think that this is a prevalent mindset among absolutely. trans? Or, or, absolutely. or was it more specific to your situation? It, it, it is more, pre- um, it's more widespread than anything else, right? Um, the majority of the trans that I that I get to uh, witness to administer to and, and, and fellowship with, they tell me, you know, look, I didn't have a dad. I wanted to be like my mom. I wanted male affirmation. That's how I recognized it. Majority of them were also molested. Um, it just seems to be one of the two common most two of the most common denominators are no father or a bad father um, or no, you know, father relationship and molestation. There are two very common denominators in this, in this um, lifestyle. I, I spoke to God twice as a, as a youth. My first time was to say, can I wake up tomorrow morning and be a girl? When I didn't, my second time was to shake my fist up at him and say, why did you do this to me? Why did you put me in a wrong body? Why did you make a mistake? Mm-hmm. It was, to me, it was obvious I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. Because the more I tried, the more attention I received. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it's really all about. It's about, a, it's about attention. See, even as you get older, it's always about being the center of attention or receiving as much attention as possible. And, and you know, with a child, it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. Attention is attention to a child. Mm-hmm. So after when, when I lived on the streets of Philadelphia, I was 14 years old. So at 14 years old, my only aspiration was to be the best hooker or woman and woman I could possibly be. I was buying female hormones on the street from the same guy I was buying my drugs from. And I was shooting myself up with hormones. I was prostituting. I was giving myself away or I was trading myself for drugs or for a place to sleep. 
I was living in hotels. I was living in parks, living behind the art museum in Philadelphia in, in the woods. I was living in, in, in uh, shelters until they would kick me out because they had no place to put me because here I was a boy that looked like a girl and they just didn't know what to do with me. See, back then we didn't have all these extra special um, rights that they have now where they can identify as something and then be placed in that facility. I could uh, Now I can identify as a woman and be placed in a woman's facility, you know? And um, also at age 14, I was HIV positive. And when I found out, I went to my peers and I said, hey guys, I'm HIV positive, what am I gonna do? And my peers told me, the blankety blank that gave it to you didn't care, so don't you care who you give it to? Hmm. And that was my mindset as an angry 14 year old, angry at the world. How dare you tell me that, that what I think and feel isn't right. Angry at my mom, how dare she want me to be the boy she gave birth to, right? And that's how I lived my life. And from the age of 14 on, I just lived angrily. And I purposely and intentionally tried to infect as many people as I could with the HIV AIDS virus. And I was in and out of juvenile detention, in and out of county jail, in and out of prison. And it was my second time in prison that I was on the rec yard, again, trying to be the center of attention as if looking like a woman being in a man's facility wasn't attention getting enough. I'm on the rec yard cheerleading for the guys playing basketball. And a correctional officer came up and he says, you come here. And I went up to him and I was like, what? And he says, what's your name? And I said, Paige. He said, no, that's a girl's name. What's the name your mama gave you? And I said, David. And he said, well, David, do you know that God didn't create you to be that way? Hmm. Listen, I was hurt. I was angry. I was offended, right? Hmm. I said, how dare he speak to me? So in arrogance, I said, of course he did. Look at me. I do this well. And he said, no, he didn't even intend for you to look like that. He said, I'm going to tell you this every day because I can. And he did. He told me every day I see him. He said, God didn't create you to be that way. It got to the point where I see him and I say, I know God didn't create me to be this way. And then I'd walk away thinking, what? Why did you just say that? You know, and then it got to another point where I started looking for him. We called him Bishop. Everybody called him Bishop. Even his coworkers called him Bishop because mm-hmm. he treated everybody the same. He witnessed to everybody the same. And, and that's why I received from him basically because I saw him as an equal and I never should have saw him as an equal with him being a CO and me being an inmate, but I did. And it got to the point where I started seeking him out on the compound. And I go, where's Bishop working? And I go find him. And he would tell me these amazing stories. He, one of the most amazing stories he told me was about this man named Saul who was so sincere that he was doing the Lord's work and he was persecuting and, and murdering and locking up Christians. And, and he says, and he was sincerely doing what he believed was correct. He says, until the day came when Jesus the Christ knocked him, literally knocked him off his high horse, blinded him so he could see. And then he became Paul and he went from being sincerely wrong to being sincerely right. 
And that just really just permeated me and it meant so much to me listening to it. And and he said, and then he'd look at me as soon as he would say, tell me a story and say, and David, and when you get saved, hmm. he was like, your testimony is going to be the power, the key that unlocks the cell door for so many different people from so many different walks of life, from strippers to prostitutes, to the homeless, to the molested, to homosexuals, to transgenders. He says, because you, you've, you've been allowed, and he would always tell me that I've been allowed to experience all those things and for a purpose. And I would just look at him, but I would be in awe of him because I knew at that moment that I was 30 something years old and I had finally met, I finally met a man that truly and purely loved me and he didn't want anything from me. He didn't want to profit off me, kick me while I was down. He didn't want to hurt me. He didn't want to use me, abuse me, nothing. He just wanted to pour into me ever so freely what had been poured into him ever so freely. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> he planted that seed. He watered that seed every moment he got. And when I got out of prison, I didn't become a man of God. I, I returned to my vomit just like a dog. And I added more sins like gambling and, and selling dope and all kinds of craziness. And in 2008, I was stricken down with a very severe progressive osteoporosis. And many people that don't know what that is, it's, it's mostly considered an elderly woman's disease. And my bone density was deteriorating. It was, it was bad. And I was hunched over, couldn't stand up straight, couldn't walk without a walker, and I was in excruciating pain. And this and then, is due to the hormones you were taking? That was due to all the hormones, all of the, um, you know, the activity that my body wasn't uh, made for, created for, the drugs, the alcohol, but the over, especially the hormones. Um, even all of the pain I was in and dragging myself around on a walker, that still didn't stop me from wanting to go to the casino and to the nightclub and to the, 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 the sexual escapades and, and all of that. It didn't stop me. And the pain and, and, and the turmoil didn't stop me from wanting to satisfy the lusts of my flesh. And then in 2009, I was stricken down. I say God Almighty struck me down with full-blown AIDS. And, and before anybody misconstrues that, AIDS was not, is not God's punishment. It was not my punishment. It was my recompense. It was my reward for the choices that I made. Just like there were other STDs that were my rewards. They were my recompense for the choices I made. And um, 2009, I was stricken down with full-blown AIDS and I had no immune system my T cells, which is how they measure your immune system was zero. And my viral load was through the roof in the hundreds of thousands into the millions per part. And I had infections in my brain. I had infections in my blood. These infections were trying to fight their way out of me um, by way of boils and um, not just a bump or two, but after I read the word, I knew they were Joe boils and um, mm. And I, they put a hospital bed in my home and they put hospice in place. 
And they said, I had less than three months. And the doctor said to me, he said, David, you don't even have to take the HIV medicine. There's nothing it can do for you. You won't survive this. And they told my mother to make my arrangements. And as I laid there, I knew two things. I knew I was afraid to die. And I'm the I want to know why kind of guy. So I wanted to know why am I so afraid to die? And it was almost like it was just downloaded into me. I was afraid to die because I didn't want to go to hell. And I knew at that moment that hell was what I deserved and it was where I was going. But I also understood at that moment that God wasn't sending me to hell, but he was going to honor my choice to go there. Hmm. And I didn't want to go there. And so I had a Bible sitting on my nightstand. This is a Bible that my mother sent me while I was in prison. She didn't find Jesus and become a Christian at that point. Um, I guess when your kid's in prison, you send them a Bible, right? They can't have one in school, but they can have one in prison. And maybe if they had one in school, they wouldn't end up in prison. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, that Bible went home with me from prison. And I sat it on my nightstand just, just because your nightstand looks better with a Bible. I never intended to read it. I even used it for a coaster. And uh, <laughs> I picked it up. And I opened it up. And the very first verse I ever read in the New Testament was Romans 127. It was the first passage that I pointed at. And it said, men burning in lust for one another, giving up the natural function of the woman. And I slammed it shut. And I'm like, really? But that one passage destroyed my entire foundation, everything I ever stood upon. I knew at that very moment that I was in direct opposition to God's very intention of creating me, not even his, his um, in, not even in creating me, but just his thought of creating one man and one woman. I was in opposition to that. I was in direct opposition to my God. And, so would um, it be fair to say, David, that reading that one verse, that on the one hand, you were completely determined to reject that, you said you slammed the Bible shut, and on the other hand, you couldn't really get it off your mind? Yes, because it wasn't very long before I opened it back up, and I just started reading and reading and reading and absorbing. And after I wrote, I, after I read, like, Romans, that, that whole couple pages, then I just went right to the beginning and just started from the beginning and was just boom, 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 just, just knocking it out. Like, and, and talking to him and reading and talking to him and reading and praying and saying, and I never asked him to heal me. You know, I didn't ask him for no supernatural intervention, none of that. All I ever asked him was to not allow me to go to hell. Please don't allow me to go to hell. Please don't allow me to go to hell. Please allow me to get into the kingdom of heaven. And, um, and I knew that I had to repent. You know, the word was telling me to repent. And I'm saying, well, God spoke everything to it in, in, into existence. He didn't think it into existence. He spoke it. So I got to speak these things. I have to speak these things to him. And I spent weeks doing this, just speaking and speaking. And I had so much to repent of, right? So at the end of this, I felt, as I was speaking these things, I could feel the 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 power that they held over me being vanquished it was gone hmm. and i just felt so much lighter 
And I was still in so much pain, excruciating pain. They, they made me a, a, drug, a big time drug addict at that point, Oxycontin, Oxycodone, morphine, plus street drugs. And um, I remember waking up one morning and I'm thinking, I'm real confused right now because I am in excruciating pain. I mean, I got boils that, that are more painful than the pain inside of my body from my bone disease. But I have joy in my heart. I have some peace. And I felt like at that moment, I finally understood what rest meant. Hmm. And I was like, at that moment, I knew I was no longer afraid to die. And I knew that I wasn't going to hell. And I said, Father, I'm ready. It was that in that moment that I really knew that I had a father, that I had a real father that loved me. Not a coward that would take his life, but a father that loved me. And, um, and I told him, I'm ready to go. Please take me home. I don't want to be here. I don't want to look like this. I don't want to live like this. And I said, but I have one request that through my death, someone would come to know you, that you would be glorified. And, and selfishly, I was thinking of my mom. And it was from that moment that I started just like kind of getting up and doing stuff and, and standing up straight and reaching for a cane and then realizing I don't need even the cane. Mm -hmm. Don't need the walker, don't need the cane. I'm, I hadn't stood up straight in over two years at that point and I'm, I'm just amazed. And everybody else is kind of looking at me with this expectation that this is my last burst of energy. I'm getting ready to check out any moment. And it just wasn't that way. Hospice comes out and says, well, David, if you're not dying, we can't come back. And I'm like, peace, you know. <laughs> and um, I go to the doctor and, or my nurse practitioner. And she says, David, the doctor's not coming in here because he doesn't have a, a scientific explanation for what's happening. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She says, we've never seen a viral load as high as yours in this office and uh, only in text. She says, but we've never seen a viral load as high as yours survive or go undetectable. And I said, well, what's that mean? Does that mean I'm, I'm negative, that, I'm, that I don't have it anymore? And she says, no, no, no. You know, the scientists and her came out. She's like, once positive, always positive. We just can't detect the virus in your system. And I'm like... <laughs> I'll take that, you know, <laughs> right. I'll take full blown AIDS again right now. And she was a stage four cancer survivor. And I told her, I said, I'll take stage four cancer right now, lupus, MS, whatever you want to give me. I said, because I'm overjoyed that I'm not what I was and I know to whom I belong. And, um, and that was just like the setting of the stage for me to go and write I just started writing and I wanted to write a book and the, the book was going to be titled I Belong Men," And it was going to be my testimony. And then the outline for that book turned into a ministry page, which then turned into a ministry, which then turned into like taking all this word in and, and that turned into this power, which turned into an anointing, which then turned into an assignment. And now I'm on assignment and for 11 years now. And, um, I'm blessed beyond measure to be on assignment for, for my father. And because I accepted that my life was over 11 years ago, 
I don't really have any um, personal desires or wants or needs because every breath I have belongs to him. And I'm mm. not, you know, my life belongs to him. It's not mine. You know, <laughs> it, that's the truth. When, when we accept that our life is over, it's over. And so he honored my request on my deathbed and David died and he was reborn. And now he, he gets to be the father's glorified. So that's it in a nutshell. Not quite, right? <laughs> wow. Wow. That, that's amazing. Um, praise God. So your testimony, obviously, this is so powerful how God changed your life. One thing that really sticks out is that often when I hear people talk about coming to Christ, they talk about like um, asking Jesus into your heart, but they don't talk about repentance. They might not talk about the flesh, which you were just referring to, but when you were just sharing your story, you said you spent days, even weeks, repenting layer after layer after layer and coming to the lowest place of deep repentance, which, by the way, I believe the Bible teaches that. Also, in America's uh, Great Awakening history, the first Great Awakening and other awakenings, there was a deep heart repentance on the people that were coming to genuine faith. And I I just have to say, David, it sounds like you didn't have anybody discipling you or coaching you. Somehow you just knew this, but you got free because of a deep heartfelt repentance, which is a change of heart, change of mind, change of choices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because the word, as I was reading it, it was so detailed and so precise to me. And I understood that my repentance had to be just as detailed and just as precise, you know, to to the one who created me. And, and that was like to my father, you know, the father that I never had, I finally learned that I had. And I had to make sure that everything was just, just right. And no, I didn't have anybody praying for me or over me. I didn't have people coming and anointing me with oil and laying hands on me and none of that. It was just me and him and I had a hungry heart and he fed that hungry heart. And I got to that point where I recognized that I could have made the choice to not seek him and to not turn from my wicked ways. I could have made that choice and I recognized that crossroad and it's when you can sit back and look at it. And that's why I guess today I have no, there's no holds barred with me. You know, um, I don't hold anything back. I'm, I'm probably one of very few men that would stand up in front of a group or a crowd of people and say, I used to be a homosexual. I used to be a transgender. I used to be a pedophile and I used to be a drug addict and a criminal and all of these things. And when you say them, especially the word pedophile, cause you know, Today, we have five cents, sin, 50 cents, sin, $5,000 sins, that kind of stuff. And it's all just sin. And um, when you say that and you see the men squirm hmm. and the women looks, look, look at just some, you know, like with sympathy. And I'm like, don't, don't, don't have sympathy because it's a choice. It's all a choice. And, and so, because it's a behavior, right? It's not um, a part of who we are. It's not genetics. We're not created that way. One, mm-hmm. of the, one of the main things I understood when I read the word from cover to cover, I was like, wait a minute. See, I remember it one moment in time 
because I used to represent nightclubs on the floats in the in the pride parades. Um, I was a, a big advocate. And I remember being on the float in Philadelphia and going down the road. And I remember on one block, there were all of these people who had these big signs that homosexuality is a sin and, and you're going to burn in hell. And, and they had Bibles and bullhorns and they were yelling and screaming that I was an abomination and, and I was a reprobate and I was unsalvageable and unredeemable. And I'm like, oh, how ugly. I don't want to know that, God. Hmm. You know, and then at the end of the parade, I remember that there were some quote unquote churches in the parade with us. And I remember one of them coming up and saying, oh, don't you worry about it. God don't make no junk. And he made you just the way you are. And they walked away and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't want to know that God either. If he made me this way, if he made me a hot mess, tore up from the floor up, don't know what I'm going to do. Right? I think I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Your God made me like this. I don't want to know him either. Thank you. But that's why I strive so hard now to be the medium between those two extremes. Because what I recognize, I read the word cover to cover and I recognized a few things that that is who I was. And that's why Jesus said to deny myself. And I was born that way. We're all born that way, whatever that is for us, you know, but we're not created that way. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus said we had to be born again. So I'm like, wait a minute, I was born that way. What do they mean I wasn't born that way? I was. Jesus said I had to be born again. It's that simple, right? He called me to be a fisher of man. Hello? I catch them, he cleans them. It's that simple. <laughs> right? Well, how do I catch them? I get to Revelation 12, 11. It tells me how I catch them with the power of my testimony. How does he clean them? With his blood. Amen. I'm like, gosh, this is simple. Why, why is there so much division and, and, and you know chaos within the church itself? Why do all those Christians that came to me on the street, why did they all have some, some off the wall, their own perception of, of what God wanted and or what God, you know, what is what my purpose was, because they all had something different to tell me. And none of it. Once I read the word. Matched the word. I don't know if Dave or anybody else told you, but I'm kind of like an apologist. So a lot of the people that I talk to, we talk about things from a logical perspective and what is truth, that kind of stuff. And so in my work, I've actually talked with a lot of people from the LGBTQ community. I have Caleb, that one transgender guy, I've talked with a lesbian person before. And the biggest thing that always comes up is the whole concept of did God create me that this way? And who am I? It's part of your identity and stuff like that. So one of the things that I always end up saying, and I guess I wanted to get your opinion on this since this is where the Lord's leading you is one of the things that I always say is you did not get created to walk in a certain way. You were born with whatever bent you have towards sin that you do have. Right. But your, your LGBTQ tendencies and lifestyle is in effect, the same sinful desires that I have as a man for 
maybe I see somebody on the street that's attractive and I'll first split second, I have an impure thought. Yeah. And I have to choose to crucify that and put that to death because I want to honor my king kind right. of a thing. Yeah. But I wanted to that's get your perfect. thoughts on that. That's perfect. Um, it was, I remember in the beginning, a pastor said to me, he said, um, created in the, in the image of God, born in the image of Adam. He was like, and that, and that always stuck with me. And that was the truth. Right. Um, and so I had to think about that Romans 127 passage where Paul says, you know, uh, men burning in lust for one another, giving up the natural function of the woman. And I look at those two words, natural and function, and see what comes natural to us changes, right? What mm -hmm. comes natural to us in our fallen state is way different than what comes natural to us in our saved state. But one thing that never changes is our function. So we naturally have a sex organ that fit, naturally fits into the sex organ of the opposite sex. So our function is to procreate. Our function is for one man or one woman to become one flesh. And I always look at that as whether it's symbolic or not, right? It's, um, I say, it doesn't matter if the rib is symbolic, that whole, because some people say, well, that's just symbolic. Some people say it was an actual rib. It doesn't matter to me if it was an actual rib or not. But in order for the two to become one flesh, that rib has to be re returned to its rightful place. So two ribs cannot become one flesh. Two men without the rib mm. cannot become one flesh. So that's it, it kind of just it's the best way to to understand and, you know, when I go out and I get to speak to people on the streets, the one thing that they always know and that I always knew to come back with to Christians was God loves me because that's all they know. Mm -hmm. So they know God loves me, period. And there's no period after that. So when they say God loves me, I'm like, yeah, you're right. However, mm -hmm. his love doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. His mercy does that. You don't have to obtain his love, right? He, he loves you in eternity, for, for eternity, whether it's eternal life or eternal death. He loves you. You don't have to obtain that love. You have to obtain his mercy. And see, that's not what people are being told. They're just being told God loves you, period, like that's the end all. And so because God loves them, they think that they could be good people and make it into the kingdom of heaven. They forget that God is also a judge, you're saying. Exactly. Or they're never see, told that. Right. And so when you tell them that, they, I'm, I can't even tell you how many people I've said that to. And they say, wow, no one's ever told me that before. <laughs> you know, and I was like, do you realize that he doesn't owe uh, either of us anything but judgment and death? And they look at me and I'm like, but he gives us his grace and mercy. You know, when they did the premiere for my documentary, and after this, I'm going to shut up so you can get started. But when they did the premiere for my documentary, um, in Iowa, there was a group out there protesting us. And I went out there to protest me with them. And they were looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, you said that the documentary is hateful, but it, you haven't even seen it. So why don't you come in and then you can call it hateful. I says, I'll even hold your signs up while you go watch it. <laughs> I was like, because when you come out, you're going to want your signs because it's going to sound really hateful to you. And they're like, huh? And he goes, Jesus loves me. I said, you're right, he does. And then he looked at me and because he didn't get the reaction he wanted. He says, Jesus loves me right where I am. I said, well, you're right. I said, he loves me right where I'm at, too, because you got to be somewhere. So right where you are, he loves you. <laughs> and then he looked at me again. He goes, 
he, Jesus loves me just the way that I am. I said, well, see, that's where you're wrong because he doesn't even love me just the way that I am because his love will never allows, allow me to remain the same. I said, it's from glory to glory to glory. I says, I have to keep progressing. I says, or I do what? I become, um, you know, a stalemate. I, I don't do anything. I don't move on. I said, and I don't grow. I said, and if I don't grow, then I'm stuck in that comfort zone because, you know, that beautiful place where nothing ever grows. I said, then I'm stuck there. And he just looked at me. He's like, huh, never thought about it like that. You know, and it's just a matter of fact things that really are Holy Spirit led, right? It's not like it's us figuring it out and how to speak to them because everybody gets witnessed to differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and I noticed that on the street, I'll say things in way different um, manner or mood to some people than I would to others. So, David, um, you're going to be on our next podcast for sure. This has been so rich, so helpful. Uh, you know, I I just have such a heart for. Um, lost people coming to faith and the hope it gives us. And, and David, what you shared with us today shows you can be way deep into this lifestyle. Mm. And it's not too deep. God is right there mm. wooing and drawing yeah. and bringing uh, his, uh, his salvation to people. And uh, we can believe in this generation, in 2021, we can believe God for the miraculous change life. And David, you are a walking uh, sermon of that changed life. So praise God, man. And um, just real quick, I think today you leave for a three-week ministry trip. I just want everybody to be aware that you go to churches and elsewhere and really minister to people, not only your, your story of, of, the, of the life change you've had in Christ, but also how to help others get out of this lifestyle. Like we uh, can help people uh, experience this dramatic change. Uh, so awesome. And uh, we look forward to talking specifically about that with you on the next podcast. So thank you, David, for uh, being with us. Thank you. So get to know David Arthur better and his ministry and practical ways uh, of ministering to transgenders uh, at his website, IBelongAmen.com. Awesome stuff, awesome ministry, and we're going to be going further in the next podcast with David explaining specifics in terms of ministering to others.